Well, welcome one more time, everybody, to Encounter Church. Just want to follow up with that next step that Kyle shared about the youth all-nighter. We're super pumped uh, about that. Um, just recognize that many of us are not in the age demographic to go on, in a, on an all-nighter. Uh, and I want to invite you in uh, by sharing, uh, many of you might not realize, uh, I've shared it here before, I actually gave my life to Christ, uh, 14, 15 years old, something like that, at uh, an event similar to this one. So I just recognize the spiritual power Power that it can have. So even if you're not in that age demographic, I hope you'll join me in praying for that experience, lifting those uh, students up before the Lord, uh, expecting Him to move in a powerful way next weekend. Uh, we are in. Uh, we're starting off a brand new series here at Encounter uh, called "All the Wrong Places." And I hope as you watched our bumper video that you got kind of uh, Dr. Seuss vibes from this. It's kind of a spoof off from that little graduation book that many of us received. Oh, the places you'll go. How many of you how many of you got that one or gave that one recently? A number of people, exactly. Um, we want to recognize, um, as that story follows somebody who kind of gets to experience a lot of life, oh, the places he went, um, that, that there's something grandma didn't include in the graduation card that was like tucked inside of that. And that's some of the places where you go, where you will end up, are the wrong places. Like you're going to track down, we're going to track down life, happiness, fulfillment, satisfaction, contentment in the wrong place. And so what this series is about is hopefully preventing that. It is about naming the wrong places that we find our hope and our contentment in so that we can identify all the wrong places to hopefully find a place where we can give our life to and we actually receive it back again instead of losing it. Uh, so what we're going to do throughout this series is recognize um, the wrong places to give our lives over to perfection, money, and stuff. We're talking about comfort in the last part of this series. Today is pretty relevant, maybe more relevant than, than at any point in human history. Today, we're talking about giving our life over to fame as the wrong place. Now, some of us, we recognize, uh, as far as a human history, this is probably uh, the most relevant time to talk about fame, because we all know somebody who wants to be famous, who maybe is famous, or, or could become famous at any point. When I say that there's many of us who, like, want to become famous, the image that might come to mind is like the, is like the person who wants to be, like, a social media star, like, who, who wants who wants to become an influencer, blue check mark, etc. Right? The person who maybe orders at a restaurant and can't physically eat their food until they take a picture of it and upload it to the internet. Right? Like it won't digest otherwise. Like a picture might come to mind of somebody who memorizes all these fun little dances for a 30-second TikTok video. And that's fine. I'm not coming down on that, right? I like, I like watching those fun little videos. Now, that's pretty entertaining. But what we're doing is saying if we attach our hope and our happiness to that thing, we're going to be left found wanting every single time. Many of us, though, however, are content with not being famous, Right? Many of you, like me, are going, I've got like eight followers on social media. All of them are immediate family members, and I'm fine with that. In fact, my preferred social media platform isn't TikTok or Instagram. It isn't even Facebook. It's MySpace, and I'm okay with that too, right? I don't want to be famous famous. I just want to be like tiny famous, like a little, like a little famous, 
Right? I want to be just famous, maybe in, recognized in my, in my office space. Listen, you know you, you might not be famous famous. You might be just tiny famous. If you're the one who kind of goes around the office and be like, hey, did you hear who uh, changed that toner cartridge in the printer? Oh, that guy's pretty amazing, huh? Oh, yeah, no, it was me. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, I restocked the copy machine with paper. Not my job, but I did it anyway. I don't want to be famous famous. I just want to be like tiny famous. I just want credit for everything that I've done, tiny famous. This is me, you guys. This is me. I don't want to be famous famous. Enough, vi- enough things have gone viral in the last couple of years. I don't need to be one of them. But in my house, I want to be tiny famous, right? I just want what I've done recognized. I'm not a particularly handy person. Um, I've shared stories on this platform in the past demonstrating that I have made things worse at a time with a bad faucet sprayer. And I thought, who needs to call a plumber? I can fix that. Well, a concussion in an ER visit later, I should have called a plumber. I'm not the most handy person, but I do try. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the fireplace in my living room, that little gas thing on a switch, stopped working. And guys, I dug in there, I took it apart, I watched all the YouTube videos, I ordered the correct parts, installed them, and like Tom Hanks, I created fire. Castaway reference, any fans? No, um... Old movie. I, I have mentioned that fact to my family like every day for the last two weeks. Hey guys, you just noticed this fireplace? It's working now. It wasn't working. Just 15 bucks, all it took. And several weeks of my life in preparation for this, but I fixed it. I don't want to be famous, famous. I just want to be tiny, famous. Some of you don't want to be famous, famous. You just want to be t- tiny, famous. You want credit for the things that you've done and it hurts to see somebody else maybe potentially get credit or you not to be recognized for it. I think this is one of the reasons why we, why we overcommit to things all the time because in this pursuit, right, of, of recognition, in this pursuit of happiness, we want to be liked, we want to be followed, we want to be accepted, we want to be received. And so we'll say yes to like everything that comes along because well, because we don't want people not to like me or appreciate me. And so, and so we say yes at the expense of ourselves, of our family, even of our very souls. We don't want to be famous, famous, but we want to be liked and followed and accepted, appreciated. Tiny famous. You know you might struggle a little bit with being tiny famous if the slightest amount of criticism like triggers you in a disproportionate kind of way. 99% of comments of people, are just so satisfied with what you do, but there's like that one comment or that one person, and it just grinds on you disproportionate to to the rest. You focus and you dwell on just that one. Why don't they appreciate me? Why can't I be tiny famous among them? If we don't want to be famous famous, a lot of us, we want to be tiny famous. Maybe there's a couple of you who don't even care about being tiny famous, Do this, listen, pay attention to what comes next for your kids, for the next generation. I came across a survey a little while ago uh, among young adults. And why I wanted to share this survey is they defined a young adult as anybody between 22 and 37. Yes! I'm a young adult for a few more months. (laughs) That's all. That's the reason why I mentioned the survey. That's it. No, (laughs) I'm just kidding. They... uh, The survey said that among the young adults, 22, 37, um, 50% of them think that their life should be made into a movie, (laughs) which is awesome, right? I mean, I love my life. I do. But in no way should it be made into a movie. Like, there he is drinking coffee again. This guy has an issue. 
Another email sent. That's exciting. 50% believe their life should be made into a movie. I read one in 12 would forsake their family in order to become famous. One in nine would give up on the institution of marriage if it meant that they could be famous. One in six would choose never to have children if it meant becoming famous. And depending on whose kids they're around, that number might fluctuate quite a bit. You get that this is a problem of, of, historic, of historic levels. Famous, famous, tinest famous for the next generation. It's a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal because we could, we could spend our lives pouring our lives, giving our lives over to something, only to realize at the very end of our life that the ladder we've been climbing up our whole lives has been leaning against the wrong building. I'd like to share with you a finding from the great theologian philosopher Jim Carrey, the Grinch fans, or maybe the Weekend fans on that most recent album. Um, Jim Carrey said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Like when Jim Carrey is dropping truth on us this morning, I think we should pay attention. So what do we do? Where do we go from here? How to give up famous, famous, tiny, famous, next generation, famous, everything in between. Where do we go from here? Where we go is we listen to the God's, God's push, God's nudge in our lives. That church, you are not called to be famous. You are called to be faithful. Question, how? How do we elevate faithfulness over famous every single time? starting today. For that answer, we're going to go to the Bible. We're going to go to John chapter 3. We're going to hear a story about some guy who gets it and the wisdom that he has. He's going to have three things for us this morning. Uh, We're going to unpack this together, and we're elevating faithfulness over famous every time. It comes from John, John the gospel writer. John is writing about John, John the Baptist. Different guy, a little confusing, but let's listen up here. John 3, verse 22. Starts off this way. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Jordan countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing at Anan near Salim because well, there was plenty of water. And people were coming and being baptized. Side note, verse 24, this was before John was put into prison. We can kind of see the trajectory right here in the first verse. He's famous now. Crowds are shouting his name. And yet he's... He's on a trajectory that's going to that's gonna land him in prison at one point. But right now, crowds are shouting his name. And his position as John the Baptist doesn't, doesn't have anything to do with his theology. It's not like he's a Baptist or something. It doesn't have anything to do with the coffee in the narthex. Or, it doesn't have anything to do with that. I do love in the story, he's a, he's a ministry of baptism showing the world they've been raised with Christ and he has to relocate his ministry towards where there was plenty of water because he was doing this so well. He was known so well for that. So I do love that about John the Baptist. He's good at what he does and so he's famous for it. Verse 25. Now an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. We're not engaging on that one. We're staying high level for today. Verse 26. They came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, that means teacher, teacher, that man who is with you on the other side of the river, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. The guy down the river, 
Imagine if you could for a moment that it's not like John the Baptist and Jesus the Messiah. Imagine if they're not rabbi, teachers, spiritual heavyweights of the faith. Imagine they're like anybody else. Imagine they're us. Imagine it's, it's like two guys and they're sales team leaders at their company and they've poured their life into a product, into a company. And they've gotten good at it. They've developed a team to also become really, really good at it and efficient at it. And they're known for it. They're tiny famous in their industry. And someone else pops up down the river. And now all the customers and the clients and the new product rollouts, and they're going to him instead of me. What does that do inside of one's heart? What would that do inside of your heart? Imagine, imagine if you could, if they're teachers. And there was the teacher that was, that was popular and people liked, and it's all the same course content, but people just enrolled in your classes and you're a little flattered by it, but then someone new comes along. And again, it's the same content, but it's just a new favorite, and your class is a little slower to fill than the teacher down the You're looking down the river, you're looking across the hallway, you see a classroom full of people, and yours isn't. Like, what does that do inside your heart, inside your soul? As parents, we can't, we can't help it. We know it's toxic, we know it's terrible for us, but we do it anyway. Compare the kids... How is she so smart, so bright, so precocious? I understand. I get why they gave her the Life Achievement Award coming out of preschool. <laughs> I do. John the Baptist speaks up into this. We're not just following anybody. We're following John the Baptist. He speaks up into this. And he goes, you want to elevate? You want to elevate faithfulness over famous every single time starting today? Number one, stop comparing. Just don't play that game. Don't play that game, it's really a trap. We heard about that message way back in January, the Unfollow series, everything was about that. I'd like to add onto that just one more, a quote from C.S. Lewis, where he said, pride is misunderstood. We think pride is something that's developed when we possess a thing, when we have a thing. Pride doesn't happen as a result of having a thing. Pride develops as a result of having more of the thing than the next guy. It's not enough just to, just to be rich I have to be richer. It's not enough to be thin. I have to be thinner. It's not enough to be smart. I have to be smarter, better than everybody else around. And the problem, as Lewis puts it, is there is someone more-er than you'll ever be down the river. In any dimension, in any category, in every metric of way of looking at your life, you can always look far enough down the river and see someone more-er than your-er. And as we play that comparison game, which is really a trap, as we look down the river, if we attach our happiness and our wholeness, our satisfaction and contentment on that thing down the river, being more-er than anyone else, it will leave us short every single time. John gets this, and he goes, he tracks, he tracks his contentment and his satisfaction, not to the other people horizontally. He tracks it back down vertically, right up to heaven. In verse 27, he says this, To this, John replied, a person can receive only what's given them from heaven. In other words, stop looking around at what God gave them and start paying attention to what heaven gifted you. Heaven has given you something, someone. Heaven has given you a skill. Heaven has given you a belief. 
Start paying attention to what it is that he poured into you every time. Verse 28, he goes on. He goes, you yourselves can testify. And this is so simple. And yet this is so profound in these five words. You can testify, I said, I am not the Messiah. But I am sent ahead of him. He knows he's not the Messiah. Other people know he's not the Messiah. He's been around. He was cousins with the Messiah. He gets this. He has to say it out loud. He has to say it one more time. I am not the Messiah. He's reminding himself. We want to elevate faithfulness over famous every single time. Stop comparing to other people around. Number two, know what you're not. He's going, I'm going to define what I'm not in order to bring clarity to what I am. Because when I take something off the table, it actually illuminates a little bit more, a little bit better about what God has, what heaven has gifted me with, what God has for me to step into. I am not the Messiah. He knows this. He has to say it out loud. And we, and we do too. I'm going to step out of the story here for just a moment, and I'm going to give you like Dirk's hot take over like this cultural phenomenon that I've seen. And you can, you can take it or leave it. That's up to you. But I'm going to stand behind it. There's something in the water right now. I don't know where it comes from, how long it'll be, but there's something in the water that says you are enough and you are perfect just the way that you are. Don't change. And I, I want to recognize some of the, 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 the shadow of believing that. Um, <laughs> it's, it's hit me a little bit while ago when I was lifting weights with a buddy of mine and the Selena Gomez song came on, Who Says, which gives you a little insight into my world. But anyway... And the song is going on, it's very catchy, but there's a line in the song, like, who says you're not perfect? You know, and I just was talking to my buddy about that, and I said, and that right there is the problem that's in the water of culture, is that we have this sense, like, we're perfect, like, I'm perfect all the time. In church, i got to tell you, when I go down deep into that valley of life, where life just kind of stings, I don't need you to come along and to tell me that I am perfect just the way that I am because I know it's not true. In the deepest fiber of my bones, I know that I'm, I'm fallible and I'm broken. I know that the mistakes and the habits and the hang-ups that I have, I know that I'm a sinful person. And by telling me I'm perfect is essentially saying life is never going to get better and you can never change because you're perfect just the way that you are. Things will never get better. I need you to come alongside me and to say, you know what? You're not perfect. You're better than that. You're loved. You're forgiven. You're redeemed. I need you to come alongside of me and say, you know what? On your own, you aren't enough. But Christ in you, you are enough. I need you to come along here and say these five words. You are not the Messiah. I am not whole. I am not enough. But I know the one who is. I have to remind myself, like, John, i got to say it out loud. I cannot fix you. I can't forgive you from heaven and remove that guilt that you experience, that shame that you experience. I can't redeem your mistakes and turn them into something far more beautiful than you could have ever imagined. But I know the one who can. I'm not going to compare. I know what I'm not. And John takes it in a peculiar turn. 
You know, we think he's just about to land this plane, and he gives this, this odd little illustration that I think is powerful, but we've got to, like, stick with him a little bit longer. He goes in verse 29, he goes, the, okay, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. That's a fancy word for just groom. The bride belongs to the groom. The friend who attends the groom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's, the groom's voice. That joy is mine. It's now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. You're like going, wait a second, what? He, he, he lands this thing with a pretty, pretty powerful line. He must become greater. I must become less. But before that, we're talking about bride and groom and a friend of the, friend of the groom and his role. We're talking about the best man, right? We're talking about the roles that a best man has at the wedding. <laughs> we want to have the humility to approach the, the word of God with a sense like if it doesn't make like total sense to us on the first read, it probably made sense to them then. So let's hang on for a little bit while and, uh, and try to figure out like what it meant to him to apply it to us today. He's not necessarily talking about the best man, although that's a loose corollary for today. We talk about the responsibilities of a best man as I've been able to observe them in my years of ministry. It's a few things. The first one, maybe plan the bachelor party. Uh, the second one is to not lose the rings in the seven and a half seconds you're entrusted them. And the third one is, unfortunately, just to make inappropriate jokes on the wedding day. That's what I've observed in my years of ministry. Back then, it was different. It was a weighty responsibility. The Hebrew term for the position was a shushben. Shushben, close friend, possibly relative of the groom, had a responsibility not to make inappropriate jokes. He had the responsibility to make all the arrangements for the wedding that day, for the wedding week. The shushben would be responsible for sending out and receiving and tracking the invitations. The shushben would preside over the wedding day feasts. Brides, if I could, imagine for just a moment that your husband's best man was in charge of your entire wedding. What would it look like? Oh, man. Help us. It was a, it was a big responsibility. And so John the Baptist is approaching this right now and going, all of that role, that whole role, it comes down to one simple, one simple responsibility list. In a week-long feast that moved from home to home and part of the city, part of the city, he was a liaison. He was a connecting point. John's going, my role was to point. I'm not the Messiah. I'm going to point to the one who is. The Shushman's role is to... Is to is to bring the bride and groom together at the end of a week-long celebration. That's all it was. That's what everything... They didn't have texts. They couldn't send messages to one another back and forth. The Shushman knew at the end of the week if the bride and the groom were together, when he heard their voices outside of the room together, he could walk away and go, my job is done. I'm not the Messiah. I'm the liaison. I got to point to the one who is. Even as I fade into obscurity as the shushben, I got to be the liaison. And John's going, to connect God's people to God, the work of God to the person of God, I got to do that. And you might not remember my name, and that's okay with me. Because I got to point to the one, I got to use my influence, use my fame to point to the one who actually incredibly deserves it. This is John, you guys, and it's so powerful to just think that he was at the top of his life, at the top of his game. Crowds cheered his name. People thought he was Elijah come back to life. 
Herod entertained him and listened to him on a regular basis like this guy had it. And could you imagine if it starts, to, the fame starts to float up the river, what that would do to most of us? But he goes, no, 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 I never attached my happiness and wholeness to the accolades and the fame and the influence that I had. It floats up the river and that's good. He might become greater. I might become less. Whether I am making headlines in the local paper or as history would prove, literally losing my head in an unknown dungeon somewhere that I could just simply point to the one who could make you whole would be enough. We think about the remarkable power that this guy's faith had that nobody could ever take away his happiness and wholeness. Though he faded into obscurity in a prison, Oh, he was killed for it. He walks away, as he says three words, full of joy. Because he put his happiness, his hope, in something outside of his own fame and influence. We opened on a story with Jim Carrey. I'd like to share another story from William Carey. Uh, I don't think that there's any relation. I would be shocked if there was. William Carey is sometimes called the father of modern missions because what he did is he pioneered this approach to sharing the word of God that went more and beyond than simply teaching people the name of Jesus who hadn't heard it before. What William Carey did is he would go into lands and actually open up a conversation, a two-way street. And so he's a European missionary. He went to the country of India and he taught reading and writing and accounting, of course, along with, uh, along with Christianity, along with Jesus mixed into it. One of the things that he did is he was helpful in loving the people through ending this cultural practice of sati, which is where a husband would die. Tragically, the wife would be expected to tie herself, bind herself onto the funeral pyre as they ignited it. And him believing that every single person had infinite value and worth was able to love them through ending that practice. He discovered that they had discovered, the Indian people, deep knowledge and wisdom of science and botany. And he opened up again this conversation, this two-way street to learn from them and then to share this with his counterparts back in Europe. I mean, William Carey, what a guy. He could have been famous. But at the end of his life, he shared this line that I'd like to share with you. I quote him when I say, when I'm gone, don't talk about William Carey. Talk about William Carey's savior. I desire that Christ alone might be magnified. Don't talk about me. Talk about my savior. Don't talk about my high fame or my tiny fame. Don't talk about what little things of credit that I did throughout my life. Don't talk about how I committed and overcommitted to every single thing. Those things don't matter. Only insofar as it gets people talking about my Savior, Jesus Christ. And I lock my happiness up with him. I might become less, that he might become greater. You guys, we get this. I think every single person, even Jim Carrey, like gets this on a gut level to some extent or another. 
Carrie got it explicitly. We get it implicitly. There's like this, this yearning inside of us. We go to a funeral and, and, we, and we see again and again every time there's a loss of life and we recognize the celebration of a life, the value of a life isn't determined by what's accumulated. Uh, cars and houses, bank statements, fame, notoriety, followers, tiny famous, famous, famous. It's not acu- The value of a life isn't determined in accumulation of these things. The value of a life is determined by how much of it you are able to give away. To give away. That's what we celebrate. We want to talk about elevating faithfulness over famous. We give our faith away at every chance we get. We give our life away every chance that we get. We serve a Savior, God, who poured his life out as a ransom for many. You guys, you're good at something. You're tiny famous, famous, famous for something. Don't hoard it. Use it. Pour it out. Give it away. That you would become less, even as he becomes greater. Church, I want to invite you to stand up and let's go to the famous one today in prayer. Jesus, we enter your presence today and we recognize, Lord, that we hold on. We hoard on to our tiny fame, wanting credit for every last thing becoming overly sensitive to critical feedback, committing far more than we know that we have just because we want to be liked. Lord, it's not a bad thing to be famous. Lord, help us to use it as John did, as you did, recognizing that the value of a life isn't hanging on, isn't accumulating, but pouring it out, giving it away. Jesus, that means we, we may follow in your footsteps this week and even today. Amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.